0: Thank you for being a part of Kairos. You know, this week I've been waiting for tonight, and I've been praying over you and been expectant that God wants to do something in us and through us. And I believe that tonight is a night that's going to be important because we've got an important announcement for you guys, but I also think that tonight's message is an important word for you. Um, If we haven't met yet, my name is Mike. I'm the Kairos pastor. I'm glad you're here. Uh, No one's here by accident. We believe God brought every single one of you here for a purpose. Uh, You may not know the purpose today. It may come to you later on this week or later on this year. But we believe that God has you here. And for those of you guys who are watching this online, thank you for tuning in. We know that you could be doing a lot of other stuff. Football's a a powerful competitive force uh, for, for worship. But we believe that you're a part of this and you're in it with us. And if you guys would, with me, why don't you guys open your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 17? So we're in the book of Acts, chapter 17, tonight. And what we're doing tonight is we're talking about innovation. Um, One of our values here at Kairos is intentional innovation that we are people who are creative and we innovate. And that's an important thing for us because our city is filled with people who are creative, who are dreamers who are innovators, and when I think of innovation, I think of a man named Thomas Edison. Anybody? Anybody know a lot about Thomas Edison? Thomas Edison is notable because he's an inventor, but he's also an innovator, and Thomas Edison uh, is someone that most people think invented the light bulbs. Now, I've got a picture of Thomas right over here. Here's old Tom. Um, for some reason, in my mind, I always get him and Einstein. Their faces like mixed up. I mean, he's got a lot less hair than Einstein, right? But uh, Thomas Edison is commonly uh, accredited for inventing the light bulb, except that he didn't. That was the thing I hadn't known, so I did some research this week, is that Edison did not invent the light bulb. Uh, the light bulb already existed. In fact, it was invented 40 years earlier by a man named Humphrey David, Davy. And Humphrey invented the light bulb, but it was too expensive for most people to own. In fact, uh, the reason why it was so expensive is because uh, the filament, which is the, the element that makes the light in a light bulb, the, the bright, shining piece of wire that if you look at it too long, it's seared in your eyes, that piece right there, uh, when it was first invented, it was made out of platinum. Okay, the same stuff you find in a very nice wedding ring. And obviously that was just way too expensive for light bulbs. And so most people had no access to electricity. But Edison said, you know what I wanna do? I wanna make it possible for every single person to have electricity. And so he experimented and innovated. It took him exactly 2,774 times until he created a light bulb out of carbon bamboo. And that's what you see him holding up on that picture. He's holding up a light bulb, the one in his hand. The smaller one is the greater invention because it's something that every single person can have access to. And he took something that was already existing and made it accessible to everybody. It's changed everybody's life. In fact, we couldn't have Kairos the way we have it tonight if he hadn't done that, right? There'd be no Kairos. In fact, this invention, this innovation changed the way our civilization operates. Before that, most people had to go to bed when it got dark. But now we go to bed a lot later than that, right? Some of us stay up till 12 o'clock at night. Some of us stay up till one o'clock. Some of us work the overnight shift. And our life is drastically different because every single person has access to electricity. In fact, we can, we can put these light bulbs on our cars and now we can drive over long distances at night. And because of Edison's invention where he took something old and did it in a way that it was new and more accessible to people, he transformed the world. And innovation is not something that's only caught up in, in uh, light bulbs and in technology. Uh, We believe at Kairos that every single one of us has the capacity and the calling to be an innovator. To be someone who thinks outside the box. Who takes what is and creates something that's better. Someone who's not content to just say, hey, things are as they are, but I actually actually make a difference with my life. And I can change the world by being creative. And we find in uh, Acts chapter 17 something incredible. We find the Apostle Paul innovating. We find him innovating in his gospel approach when he comes to a place called Athens. So turn your Bibles, Acts 17. As you're turning there, I just want to just make a quick side note. This is not part of the message, but I love referring to the book of Acts, not just by the shortened version that most of us call it, which we say the book of Acts, but the longer version that Luke gave it is the Acts of the Apostles, Okay. So he's very clear that the book is about what the apostles did, their action. So he could have titled it the hopes and dreams of the apostles or the contemplation of the apostles or the thoughts of the apostles or adventures on the couch by the apostles. But that's not what he called it, right? He called it the acts because there's something about Christianity that's active, and when we strip it from our actions, when we just make it something that's intellectual, we lose the power of the gospel. And we find here Paul taking action in the book of Acts. Let's read the text together. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. It says this, it says, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which it was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Now, our story is tied to uh, Paul and his missionary journey. So if you uh, grew up in church, you probably heard the story of Paul. Paul, at one point, was someone who hated God, was trying to shut down the Christian church. He gets saved which is awkward for everybody, right, including himself. who's like, I was putting you guys in prison. Now I'm I'm like your biggest fan, your biggest champion. And then uh, as he continues to progress in his faith, gets sent out as a missionary to the entire Roman world. And his commission is simply this, go to the places that the gospel is not. And so he does that. He and some of his friends, a man named Barnabas and another guy named Silas, another guy named John Mark, they leave and they begin going from town to town, city to city, preaching the gospel and planting churches. And so Paul's doing this, and he's not just doing this uh, haphazardly or just randomly or just showing up in a town going, okay, we're just gonna see what happens. He has a game plan. He has a game plan for planting churches, and it's copied from Jesus' game plan. So many of us don't realize that Jesus actually had a lot of strategy when he did his work on the earth. And the very first thing we find Jesus doing when he leaves the desert after being tempted by Satan is he goes on a preaching tour. He goes back to his hometown, walks into the synagogue in Luke chapter four and preaches a sermon and goes, hey, will you read in this book right here, in the book of Isaiah, I'm actually fulfilling it right now. Which, by the way, he's like calling his shot in a big way, right? There's no going back for Jesus. He's like, what well, you read in the Bible, it's happening right here, right now. I'm doing it in front of you. And then he begins to uh, accumulate followers by doing this. So Paul does the same thing. He goes, well, it works for Jesus. I'm going to do it too. So he would, and Barnabas and others, they would walk into these towns. They would find the closest synagogue. They would walk into the door, and they would preach. Now... They did church a lot different in in those days than the way we do it now. We usually do church under an hour. It's like fast food church, like in and out, right? Bang, show up, sing, talk to one person, hear a sermon, go home, right? We're just like in and out. What they would do is they would be in the synagogue most of the day. And they would have, like, a preach-off. People would come up and they would preach. And they would let anybody who wanted to just stand up in the middle of the sanctuary and preach. And so Paul's like, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go stand in the middle and I'm going to preach. So he opens the Bible and he tells them that they've been doing it all wrong. Okay? Can you imagine that? Like, we're just like, anybody want to come up and preach? You can just tell us how we did it wrong, right? (laughs) That's what Paul does. He opens the, the Scriptures and says, okay, you guys know about Moses. You guys know about the prophets. They're all about this guy named Jesus. And and Jesus is the way. He is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And we're here to tell you that we met him and he died, but he didn't stay dead, he was raised to life. And those of you guys who wanna follow him can now enter into peace with God. Well, it was like throwing a, a live rattlesnake in the middle of the church at that point, right? because these people were strict monotheists. They're like, there's only one God and we won't even say his name because we believe God's so holy. Now you're telling us that Carpenter from Nazareth is the guy. How is this possible? And and as that message was proclaimed, there'd be two responses. One was a bunch of people were like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I didn't even know about it. And many would say, I wanna follow Jesus and I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna be a part of what you guys are doing. So they'd go and start a church. But the other half would be like, okay, it's on. You guys are heretics, you're blaspheming. And an angry mob would rise up and would attack Paul and Silas. And so when they would preach the gospel, they knew that it was gonna go one of two ways. Some people would say yes. Some people would be like, you're going down, okay? And often they would leave town just one step ahead of an angry mob that was looking to stone him to death. And that's what we find in Acts 17. Paul has just preached in a town called Berea. A bunch of the Bereans were like, we love what you're doing. Let's compare it with the scriptures. We're going to follow Jesus. Another group was like, you guys are going to have to leave town because we're going to kill you. And so Paul leaves by himself because the heat's just too hot and goes to the next town called Athens. Now, most of us know of Athens, right? Show of hands. Who knows what Athens is, ancient Greece, right? Uh, Nashville's got a great affinity for Athens. We call ourselves Athens of the South. We even like have a replica of Parthenon right downtown. So uh, you guys should know what Athens is if you're here in Nashville. But a- Athens was, was a cultural center. It was a place where a lot of philosophy that's changed the world uh, has emerged from Athens. People like Socrates and Plato lectured there in the, in the academy, and it's a center of worship. People love to worship. What Paul found is that the favorite thing that people did in Athens, the thing they loved to do most was not talk about football or the Olympic Games, was to talk about religion. And they would discuss their gods, like which one's better, and why they liked Zeus better than Athena. And why they, they, they had uh, also like other things that they would talk about with other gods. They'd talk about gods that were from far away. They would say, okay, I heard about this god in Africa. Let's talk about him. So there's this, this environment of talking about God, but they did not know about Jesus. And Paul, as he's walking through the city, is becoming more and more bothered over the lostness of the city that he's in. He's like, you love religion, but you don't know Jesus, who's the answer. And as he's walking through the city, he comes across an altar. It's an altar that's not very well known. It's in the corner. It's kind of dusty. But as he's looking at it, he sees something that he's never seen before. He sees a plaque on it, which says, to an unknown God. We don't know much about this altar, other than at one point, somebody thought it would be a bright idea to make sure that they had all the bases covered and said, well, there, there's a lot of gods we have represented in this town, and we may not know them all, so let's, like, cover our bases. <laughs> to the ones that we don't know, right? To the unknown unknown, we're going to create an altar there. And what Paul does is, after he sees that, he decides to innovate. He's not going to go to the synagogue. Instead, he's going to go to the Areopagus to the philosopher's hill, to where the place that no Christian has ever gone before and he's going to do things different. So what is innovation? Innovation is taking something that's very old and doing it or saying it in new ways. So innovation is taking something that's old and finding new ways to do or say something. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I want to make sure it's, it's right, right there. So intentional innovation is new ways to do something old. So this is what intentional innovation is. It's not necessarily inventing something completely new, but it's taking something old and then doing it in a new way. Um, an example of this, I, I, I observed something with my children. So my children live in a very different world than the one I grew up in. And we took them to the beach this past week over fall break, and we went down to Dolphin Island, had a condo down there. And uh, after a long drive, they were kind of tired and they wanted to watch a TV show. So they're like, hey, Dad, can we watch a show? And they're like into Scooby-Doo for some reason. I don't know if anybody loves Scooby-Doo in this house. Okay? But they love the mystery machine and they love you know scooby and shaggy and all that stuff and and i don't know what why they like it but they just love it and so they're like can we watch scooby-doo and i was like okay cool so i handed them the remote and said go find it on the tv and to their horror they found out that there was no video on demand see we've cut the cord in our family we're like early adopters here we don't have cable anymore. We, we, we use YouTube TV, we use Disney+, Plus. we got Netflix, we got the, the streaming uh, packages. And so they've never known a world where they actually have to walk through or click through the channels to find something that's on. And then what really blew their mind is I said, hey, guess what? The only thing you can watch is what's currently being broadcasted. There's, there's no like DVR. Like You just literally, if it's on, you can watch it, so deal with it, right? And they were just like, like, what? Because they don't, they don't understand that, that, that you can't just like open your phone. Uh, there are parts of the country that you can't just like open up your phone and stream stuff because the internet's not fast enough. They don't understand that, that just, the world just doesn't revolve around them in those ways. And the reason why they live in a world where it's just video on demand all the time is because some bright person decided to take something old, which is video, and do it in a new way to make it available for everybody. And that's what Paul does. He takes something that's old. He takes uh, this plaque, an inscription to an invisible God, and he takes something that already exists, which is the gospel, something very old, which God has been doing since the beginning of time, since our very first ancestors, since Adam and Eve. God has been bringing people back to himself through a process of, of revelation where God reveals himself to Adam and Eve, brings about his Salvation ultimately in Jesus Christ. And now Paul takes that message with this inscription and puts them together and does something new. What he does is he creates a bridge between their story and the gospel. He brings them to a place where he finds common ground so he can point them to holy ground. He finds common ground in their story in this inscription so that he can bring them to holy ground and they can experience the living God. And he says, hey, listen, there's this inscription you already have in your culture. This is a story that's already your story. It's not a new story. You guys have already been looking for God. You have an altar to God. You just don't understand who he really is. But let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. And he innovates. He takes something old and recasts it in a new way which is really important for us as a culture those of us who live in Nashville, Tennessee in the new Athens because we live in a different environment it's similar it's similar this is uh, an area where we love philosophy and we love culture and we love uh, art and there are a lot of people who are very religious and we talk about gods there are many gods in Nashville Um, but what has happened is that the gospel, which is good news, has become old news for many people. What was good news has become old news. It's still good news, but people are like, man, listen, I've already heard that before. Like I went to church, and I've heard about Jesus, and I've checked that off the box that I'm, I'm a good person, but I'm not astounded anymore by the claims of Jesus Christ. And so it is our task now as people that love Jesus who the good news has changed our life, it's up to us to innovate in how we tell the story of the gospel. And it's up to us to innovate so that what people might think is old news becomes good news again. Because it's the very best news. It's the only answer to life's problems, to the reason why there's sin and sorrow and death. The book that God gave us something that's very old is something that is life-changing. It will transform your life. And so, Kairos, my invitation to you is to be someone who is creative in telling good news. So here's the thing. You and I, we were created by the creator, the one who created all things. God is the most creative being that's ever existed. He's he's incredibly creative. He's always creating new things. And in creation we find that God creates the world. And I love how how extravagant he is in his creation. I mean he could have could have like just 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 packed it in and not done the job that he did, right? Because I mean he could have literally been like, all right, we're gonna just make like one kind of fish and it's gonna be gray and you're gonna just like it because you don't know anything else. And one kind of dog and one kind of bird and and we're just going to make things very 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 utilitarian but that's not what you see right In, in nature when you start looking at nature you're like man there is so much beauty out there man we went to like I told you we went down to the to the beach we went to uh this uh sea lab which is kind of like an aquarium on Dauphin Island and one of the things that was so striking to me is how many kinds of fish live in the Gulf of Mexico now, I don't see them all because I'm staying ashore. I'm not really out, out in the water very much. But in the sea lab, they showed us that, man, there's just like hundreds of different kinds of fish and they look very, very different from each other. So it like was like God's like, look, I can do this all day. I love to create things. You know, the same thing is true for us as Christians. God has created us to be creative, to dream, to think about new possibilities, to innovate. And often we've just been satisfied with just replicating, just copying what other people are doing, just copying ideas that we see in the world or we see other people doing, trying to copy our life off the the life of our friend or somebody we see on Instagram. But there's so much more. We're called to create and to innovate. That's what we're made to do because we are image bearers of God. We're image bearers. You are a creative. You might say, I'm not really that creative. You are creative because God has made you Someone to show his image and his creativity with the way that you do your life. And creativity can be displayed in a lot of different ways. Some of you guys are in art school. Some of you guys are in film school. Some of you guys are studying other things and you're learning a lot right now. Um, and if you were in film school, one of the things you would do is you would go to school and you'd learn a lot about arts and you'd study other films and you'd watch movies for class, which sounds amazing, right? And you'd work on your skills of... Of, of editing and, and filming and you'd be developing those things. But at some point, you've got to take the step and create art yourself, right? It's not enough just to be like, man, I got this information, I've got all these skills, but now I'm just going to just like stay there. You've got to come up and create beauty out of your life. You've got to innovate. I fear sometimes that we as Christians, we've, we've set the bar so low. We, we're only thinking about like, Man, what can I learn more about God? And can I get my skills better at studying my Bible? But we're not innovating when it comes to telling the story of God. We're not innovating in our approach to our friends or our neighbors. We're not dreaming anymore about what God could do in us. And part of that probably is because we don't think that we're good enough, that we're not special enough, that we're not smart enough, that we're just normal and ordinary people. But here's the good news. The good news is that there is no such thing as an ordinary person. There are no ordinary people. And as a Christian, because you've trusted Jesus Christ with your life, there's something miraculous about you, and that is this. Is that the same Holy Spirit that lived inside of Paul, that made him brave and courageous, lives inside of you. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Bible tells us that Holy Spirit lives in you, so you have everything that it takes to be a world changer if you'll let God do that in your life. You can be someone who innovates because God has created you to be a creator. And God has made you into someone who can change your community, your friendships, your school, your workplace for the gospel if you'll just let God birth that passion within you, if you'll let him use you. I believe that there's so much talent and potential in this room. And the scariest thing for Satan is that um, we would actually step up and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He's terrified of that. But God can and wants to use you. And so my invitation to us is to say, okay, just like Thomas Edison, let's, let's take something that is old Make it something that's new. Let's bring about what God wants to do in us. Let's innovate. Let's create something new. Let's dream. And one of the things at Kairos that we're gonna do as a community is we're gonna continue to commit to be innovative. That's one of the things I love about Kairos is it's a place that we've always said, we wanna make sure we reach people far from Jesus. We wanna be a place that's always looking at those who are on the fringes, those who are not here yet, those who need Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to pour into you because you are a huge part of God's kingdom. You are a family. We want you to belong. We want this to be your home. But we also always want to be thinking about those who have never heard the name of Jesus, those who are broken, those who are far from God, those, those who, who might have their life actually pretty together, but they need someone That they've never really known him. They've never really known Jesus and they need him. We want to be the kind of people that do that. And so we have a big announcement. Our big announcement is this. We are going to be moving back to Tuesday nights. Um, Our leadership team has been praying about this for a long time. I've been here three months. um, And that's the number one question I've been getting over and over again, Mike, when are we going back to Tuesdays? Are we going to go back to Tuesdays, Mike? Are we going to go to Tuesdays? Tuesdays? When, when's Tuesdays going to happen? And we've said, well, let's wait, because the reason we're on Sunday nights is because of COVID. We started meeting Sunday nights because we wanted to have enough social distancing and have two services. And so we, we first went online, then we went outside for a while, and then we went to service at 4 and 6 p.m. on Sunday nights. And then finally, we went back to 5 p.m., and now we feel like it's time for us to go back to Tuesdays. So if you guys are excited about that, you can say yay. I heard hurts one person. Yeah, right? And the, and the reason, I want you to hear me, the reason we're doing this is because it's home for us. That's the night that Kairos originally was at. And we're also doing it because we believe that we have an opportunity to be a voice in our city on Tuesday nights and people will, will be able to come through these doors, and have their life changed forever on Tuesday nights. And so be praying for us. I know there's a lot of questions. The question a lot of you guys are having is like when? And we're going to send an email out with all this information. Um, But we're going to be moving to Tuesday nights starting November 2nd. So uh, this week, uh, we're having a Tuesday night worship gathering outside. So October 19th, worship gathering outside. Um, And then We're going to be back here in this room the next Sunday night. So the 24th, we'll be right back here. We're going to be off for Halloween. So that's the, because it's too close. So we're going to be off for Halloween. Go do your trick-or-treating. And then November 2nd, we are back on on Tuesday nights. Now you may say, hey, how can I help? First thing is I, I need you to start praying. Start praying that God would use us, that God would do something powerful in our city and in this community that we could do something beyond our wildest dreams, that we see a generation of people fall in love with Jesus. So start praying now. Second, um, I want you guys to be there that first night. So circle your calendars, make sure you're there. And then I also wanna ask you um, to, to invite a friend. Listen, here's the thing I know, is that some people um, in this room know someone that, that is struggling, that would want to be a part of something like this. They just have not been asked. So, would you invite your friends to come? Because I believe that Kairos will change their life forever. Guys, I'm so grateful for you. You have been a blessing to me and my family, to this ministry, the other ministers on the staff, our team. We are so grateful for you. We love being a part of Kairos. I believe that the very best days are ahead for us as a ministry. I believe that God's gonna do something amazing through this ministry. So as we close, I just wanna pray for us and pray that God would use this season of change uh, as we make this step back to our normal meeting time on Tuesday nights. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being so incredibly good to us. And thank you for being good to our city. Thank you for loving Nashville. And God, I just pray that as we, as we consider uh, this move back to Tuesdays, as we pray over it, as we, as we start preparing our hearts for it and start changing our calendars to reflect this new reality that we're gonna go back to Tuesday nights. God, I pray that you would meet us in the middle of this. I pray that you would, you would use this move to, to spark renewal in this city and with our friends and our coworkers, the people we're gonna meet, that this would be a place where people fall in love with you, Jesus, because you're worth it. And we pray this in your name. Amen.